So if you would take your Bible then, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> We're looking at a passage of Scripture that many times is referred to or used during a missions conference. And that's 2 Corinthians 8 verses... And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. 2 Corinthians 8, verses verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. To wit means to know, to make have knowledge of. How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift. Take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. So the title of the message this morning is Demonstrating the Grace of God in Real Life. Demonstrating the grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word. I pray that as the word of God goes forth today, I pray that you help me, uh, help me to preach in clarity, be in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The Spirit of God would use his word to uh, challenge us, to encourage us, to convict us where conviction is needed. And Lord, if be any in our midst who do not have a right spirit with the Lord, I pray that the Spirit of God would arrest their hearts today and bring conviction and repentance. May you be glorified. May we be helped, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, there are lots of people in the world that give of them, of their substance. There's many great philanthropists, I guess you'd call them, it's a hard word for me to say, that give to great causes, you know. Um, but if you look at most of those, there's, there's motives for it. You know, many of those things are great uh, tax breaks. There's, uh, uh, of course, most of those that give and those that do give, give out of their abundance, that's not what we're seeing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is something totally different. Uh, Paul starts out this passage by saying, you need to take knowledge of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God. In other words, the grace here, the word grace means goodwill, loving kindness, or favor. That's what God, that's what grace is. And, and this is, the, this is the grace of God. Uh, you know, the grace of God is demonstrated, of course, in God sending His Son. Titus 3 through 7 says, but after that, the kindness and love of God, that, that kind of be the uh, definition of the grace of God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to His mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace or his loving kindness and favor, we should be made heirs 
according to the hope of eternal life. Now, so grace is goodwill, kindness, loving kindness, and favor. Now, God's grace and favor and favor is to those who deserve disfavor. Or you might say God's blessing is to those who deserve his curse. That's the grace of God. You know, if a hungry man showed up to your house tomorrow and you gave him a meal, that's kindness and favor. But that's not the same as God's grace and God's kindness. Because you don't know, you know, he's just a man. You don't know whether he's an enemy or a friend. You know, he, he, he's just a man, shows up at your house. That'd be, that'd be, be, that would be being kind. Uh, but it's not the same as God's grace to sinners, because we deserve to be cursed. You know, Romans 5, 8 through 10, God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, in other words, while we are the enemies, while we were against God, Christ died for us. And so, verse 10 goes on and says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by His life. So when Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says, I want you to take knowledge, or be aware of, or, or notice, the grace of God bestowed upon the Mace- these Macedonians, he wants you to understand this is the grace of God. This is not the grace of a man. It's the grace of God. Because grace is characteristic of God. So my first point is, this is the grace of God. And I got two subpoints under that. First of all, it is characteristic of God. Grace is characteristic of God. Exodus 22, verse 27 says, For that is his covering only, it is his raiment for his skin, wherein shall he sleep. It shall come to pass when he crieth unto me, that I will hear, for I am gracious. See, it's a characteristic of God himself that he is a God of grace. Exodus 34, 6, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, loving, long-suffering, and abundance, and abundant in goodness and truth. Psalm 86, 15, Without our Lord, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious. Psalm 116, verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is powerful. He, in other words, it's part of who He is. He's full of goodwill. He's full of loving kindness. He's full of favor. That's who He is. Our scripture memory passage, Psalm 103, verse 8. Says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Uh, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as east is from the west, so far hath he removed his transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. 1 Peter 5.10 says, But the God of all grace. God of all grace. And for the grace of God that bringeth salvation, Titus 2.11, hath appeared to all men, 
See, grace, this goodwill, this loving kindness, this favor of God that saves sinners, it is of God. And Paul is saying to Corinth, look, you take knowledge of these Macedonian believers that they have a grace that is of God. Yeah, we say that salvation is by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, to get to God, not of works. Romans eleven six says, And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. So it's if, of, if it's of grace, you can't mix it with works. Because if you mix it with a little few little works, it's no more grace. It nullifies grace. It destroys grace. See, any religion that teaches you you must keep yourself saved is a works-based religion. It's mixing works and grace. It's not my works that keep me saved. It's the power of God that keeps me saved. 1 Peter 1.5 tells us. Yeah, there are many examples that illustrate this truth in chemistry. You know, if you put the smallest spark of fire, Dave, into a barrel of gunpowder, it'll destroy the whole barrel. You can't mix those two. You can't mix them. Your terrible oil refinery fires have been caused by a single drop a perchloric acid coming in contact with some heated organic gasoline or kerosene or something like that. A little drop. Perchloric acid. See, if salvation is by the grace of God, then it's not of works. As soon as you mix a small amount of works, grace is debased. And it's transformed into something horrible to consider. The whole idea of works is that a man can provide a basis that will force God to give him some blessing as just reward for his works. See, a lot of people are, 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 are trusting in themselves that, that, that they're doing something and thereby God will be required then to reward them for their good deeds. The Bible says the sacrifices of the wicked. Trying to earn your way to heaven with, with some good works in the sight of God is wicked. That's how he sees it. And the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination unto the Lord. See, the whole idea of grace is God acts toward man according to that which is found within his own divine nature. Grace and works are mutually exclusive and destroy each other when placed together. You see, it's the grace of God that bringeth salvation. And Paul told this church at Corinth, look, I want you to take notice of the grace that's working in the lives of these Macedonian believers. Is grace working in your life? I want you to notice the second thing here under this point one is it was a grace. It is again emphasizes that it's God's grace. It was a grace beyond their power. If you notice in verse three, for to their power, 
I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves. Paul said it was beyond their power. The word beyond means more than or greater than or in excess of measure over and above human nature or human ability. You know, again, while it is true there are many people who have given themselves to help humanity, it's also true that most of those who give, give out of abundance or for reward. Many religious people are religious for a reward. Many people give to charities and churches for a reward. I remember when we lived, I think it was we were in Canada, I'm not sure anyway, there was a man there who traveled from New Brunswick to Maine to church because he wanted a church that was faithful. And doing so, he gave up his tax exemption for his tithes and offerings. You know, I remember saying one time, he said, uh, some people won't do that. Some people won't do that. See, men and religious people think that they believe that they are good, giving, caring, kind, etc., etc. They will be rewarded. You know, some people think, maybe you think that as long as I'm doing what is right, I'll be okay in the end. But again, that's not the grace of God. You see, what these people did and were doing was unnatural. It was uncharacteristic of human beings. It put themselves at risk. It brought hardship and sacrifice into their own lives. A risk they had calculated. You see, this is a demonstration of the grace of God bestowed, and that word bestowed there, verse 1, means given uh, to, of course, through salvation, God working. God was working and active in their lives, and this was a demonstration of that. It was an act of faith that God's grace would be sufficient for their future needs. See, there was no motive of a return or for reward. It was a gift given to help the poor at Jerusalem. You know, this was an offering. This wasn't for their church. It was, this was an offering that Paul was taking up for the saints at Jerusalem who were suffering severe, from severe persecution and, and, and also there had been a dearth, a famine, a, a drought in that area of the world during this time. And so there, because of the severe persecution, many had lost their livelihoods in Jerusalem. So they were in dire straits, the church of Jerusalem. And so Paul encouraged these other churches to send an offering to help them. To fellowship, this is what fellowship, they were working together. See, churches here were working together. And, and, and he uses the word fellowship in verse 4. So to help these brethren, whom they were debtors to, because the gospel came forth from Jerusalem. So it was an act of faith. It simply was given out of grace, kindness of God, and love for the Lord. So they gave. But they gave here, it says, it was a grace beyond their power. This is the grace of God working. 
being demonstrated. Because I want you to notice, secondly, the circumstances of their gracious giving. And notice two things here. First of all, verse 2, notice verse 2 says, How that in great trial affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So one of those circumstances that's stated here is they gave out of affliction. Out of affliction. Now the word affliction means proving trial. Yeah, this, this, was, this was a time to prove these Macedonian believers. Do you really trust God? It was a proving time. You know, afflictions prove us. They prove us or disprove us. Romans 5, 3-5 says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. How many of you, like me, glory in tribulations? That's what the Bible says. We glory in, Paul says we glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience. And that word experience is the same word of, as the word affliction in verse 2 of our text. Proving trials. The experiences in life that prove the genuineness of our faith. And experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given us. You see, when we, when we go through trials and God tries us and proves us and we're faithful, it gives us hope that we expect God will undertake every time we have a need. This word affliction is translated proof in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 9. For to this end also I did write that I might know the proof of you whether you be obedient in all things. So he wrote this second epistle. He wrote the first epistle and he was correcting the problems that were in the church and he wrote it to see whether they would prove themselves faithful or not. And they proved themselves. They proved themselves. You see, what proves the reality of the grace of God working in your life is testing. Testing. You know, how are things when we are not as we want? You know, we can appear broken. But when we get what they want, is it business as usual? Are you gracious when pressed? That, you know, that is a time to prove the grace of God in your life. Otherwise, we're just like the world. Just like the world. You know, I've been to funerals. I've had a funeral for a man. And there was just, there was wailing. One member of the family just wailed. Because there's no hope. There's no hope. 
I've been to other funerals, participated in other funerals, where, yes, there was some tears and some crying, but there was hope. It was almost like a celebration. There was Because there was hope. See, the grace of God makes a difference. These people were under persecution and distresses, just as the churches at Jerusalem were. But even in their afflictions, they still gave. They still trusted God. They also gave out of poverty. Again, verse 2 says, How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Poverty. The word poverty means the condition of one destitute of riches and abundance. In other words, these were people that lived hand to mouth day to day. This was not a circumstance of, uh, hey, hey, uh, you know that extra money I was saving for that new rifle or that, uh, that extra money we were saving for that nice vacation at that uh, 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 resort in the Rockies? That extra money we had? Let's, let's give it to, you know, to help the needs of this church over here. That wasn't this, that wasn't what this is. It wasn't extra. They were not giving of their abundance. They gave of what would cause, be a cause of sacrifice to themselves. It would require them sacrificing something in their life. They gave out of their poverty. Ray Lauren in his book tells a story that a businessman and a lawyer who were Christians visited Korea. And a missionary working there. And there in Korea, they saw in a field a young man pulling a rude plow. And an old man working the handles of the plow. The amused lawyer took a picture and said, that's a curious picture. I suppose they are very poor, he said to the missionary. Yes, said the missionary. That is the family of Chibui. When the church building was being built, they wanted to give something, but they had no money. So they sold their only ox and gave the money to the church. This spring, they are pulling the plow themselves. The businessman replied, that must have been a real sacrifice. The missionary replied, they didn't call it that. They thought they were fortunate to have an ox to sell. That's giving out of your poverty. Thirdly, I want you to notice the root of their gracious giving. The root of their gracious giving. Notice, drop down to verse 5. It says, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Again, Paul uses a phrase here, not as we hoped, or 
they did more than expected. You know, this was something he did not expect of these Macedonian believers. He did, you know, in fact, you know, he, he even, he even, it, the Bible tells us here that, that obviously he did, they had to pray that he would take the gift. They begged him to take it. But he says it was that they had given themselves to the Lord first. You see, the root of their giving was they had given themselves to the Lord. You know, what does this mean? Well, Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now some might say this is what the Macedonian believers had done. It's kind of unreasonable. It's kind of illogical. Well, when the Bible says that we're to yield our bodies a living sacrifice, that it is our reasonable service, that it means there it's, it's agreeable to reason, it's following rationale, it is, you know the Greek word is? Lagos. And it means the English word equal is logical. Reasonable. Or it means this. It's agreeable to reason, following reason or rationale, or it's of the word. So you might say, when the Bible says that it is reasonable for you to yield your body a living sacrifice, it is a reasonable of the Word of God, command of the Word of God. God doesn't ask us things that are unreasonable, that can't be done. Any more than He would ask somebody to go fight that giant Goliath, even if they weren't a giant. It was a really reasonable thing to do. Not because he's a giant and not because he's the enemy, but because he's defying the armies of the living God. You see, this is a command of the Lord. And these people had yielded their bodies a living sacrifice. They practice what the Bible says in Colossians 1.18, where it says, He is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see, they gave themselves first to the Lord. They were living sacrifices to the Lord. They were willing to endure hardship uh, for His name and for His glory. They had slandered their, they had not only slandered their lives, they would slandered their livelihoods or means of making a living. They had surrendered their finances, not just their ties. In fact, I don't believe this offering was of their tithe. It wasn't to their church. It was a love offering for the saints of Jerusalem. You know, we are stewards of all that God gives us, and we are to use it all wisely for His glory. See, we would say today, these people had a heart after God. They first gave themselves to the Lord. And you know what? Giving out of poverty then wasn't an issue. Because they had given themselves to the Lord.
You know, the problem we have with obedience to the commands of God is a heart problem. It's a heart problem. The problems we have in doing the will of God is a heart problem. The reason we lack the grace of God in our life and a gracious attitude is a heart problem. It's not because we're too busy. It's not because others do not fulfill our desires. It's not because of inconvenience. It's not because God's commands aren't reasonable or illogical. It is a heart problem. And because these Macedonians had given themselves first the Lord, giving out of their poverty was not an issue. You know, a heart problem boils down to a repentance problem. It is an unwillingness to accept or surrender to God's authority. It is to say, God is unreasonable. I know people say, well, it's my life. You know, the liberals say, it's my body. Yeah, it is. It's God that's given you that life. And you will be accountable to God for that life. You know, Acts 17.28 says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. The only reason we have life is because God gives us life. God can take that life anytime He wants. It's His to give, and it's His to take. It is God that will judge us. It is He that sets the standard of righteousness and will determine if we go to heaven or hell. You might say, well, wait a minute, preacher. You know, we can, we have to decide and accept. Yes, we do, but God sets the rules, so to speak. He sets the rules of the, and I hate to use that term, but the game, if you want to call it. It's not a game. And see, the standard of righteousness is Jesus Christ and Him alone. And this gift of God must be received by grace, not of works. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. See, the root of all their actions, their giving out of deep poverty, was the grace of God had worked at manifesting itself in their lives. God worked in their lives. The life of God was in them. And they had received of His divine grace. You know, have you received of the grace of God? Is the grace of God being demonstrated in your life? Not just in your giving, in your attitudes, in your actions, your relationships with others. If God wrote your story as He did the Macedonians, what would He write? You know, God wrote this uh, for us uh, the Macedonians and their testimony how God worked in their life. He wrote it for us to receive and to learn from it. If he wrote your story, what would he write? What would be written? You 
And so the question I leave you with this morning is this. Is the grace of God being demonstrated in your life? Not just in giving. You know, grace, the, the word grace means goodwill, loving kindness, and favor. Now, the example he uses here and, and it illustrates for us is out of their goodwill and loving kindness and favor to, of God, they gave of themselves. Of their finances. You know, we need to give of ourselves, of our talents, our time, to be a witness and testimony to those around us that know not the grace of God. So again, I ask you, is the grace of God being demonstrated 